The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Come on, give God all the praises. Come on, let him know you love him. And it is such an honor uh, to be with you. You know, uh, this church has uh, carried Lifehouse Virginia Beach and helped us as we got planted and got started. And I just want to say thank you. So many of you were down there for some for a couple of months, some for a year or two, and really helped us get off the ground. And so I just want to thank you. So can we celebrate all those people who were a part of that and ha- has been so instrumental? And do what God's called you to do. I, I do want to take a moment, and I just want to thank you as a church uh, for something maybe you don't even recognize that you do, uh, and that is uh, you have loved your pastors so well. You know, Pastor Patrick and Laura, I was actually uh, texting him moments before I came up here just thanking him for the opportunity. He's a true spiritual father. I told him, I said, man, it's always great to go home and be able to play with whatever gadgets I can find. Uh, I, come, I, I come back to Lifehouse, and I'm just running around trying to see what's new that I can get into, like going home after college but really has been an incredible experience. Uh, But, you know, Pastor Patrick and Laura have been faithful to this house for a long time. And it was the dream of a couple and of a man that that believed God for something so, so magnificent. Uh, And they're on their sabbatical. This is their break. This is the time. But the reason they're on one is because of you, because you see their value. You see how how great they are, and you want to return that. And so as Pastor Patrick and Laura have an opportunity to get catch their breath a little bit emotionally and physically and spiritually, uh, not as something that's retroactive but proactive so that he can take this church along with his family into the next season of what God has. But I'm just so grateful and just thank you. Uh, the value of a sabbatical for somebody who has been laboring like Patrick uh, is, is really something that I don't know can be understood unless you're in the game. Uh, I know that I've only been in it five years and I'm trying to get uh, my church to let me go on one for four months. It's not going over so well, but, um, but just grateful. So can, you, can, can I just thank you? I just want to thank you. You guys are incredible. You're an incredible incredible church, an incredible place, but you have the most amazing pastors, and Pat, uh, Pastor Patrick is such a, a great friend, but bigger than that, he's, he's a spiritual father to me. Uh, he's always there. He's always available and uh, always willing to get dirty no matter what I need to do, um, and so I'm just so, so grateful. Well, look at your neighbor and tell him, tell him you're processing. Look at the person on your other side, the, the second favorite, and tell him you're processing too, and you were really my first pick. <laughs> I'm going to read a story to you that's very familiar for most of you. It's in, it's in the book of John, and it's known as the first miracle, John chapter 2. So let's read along together. John chapter 2, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. It's important you read that because what it's saying is that Jesus' mother was the reason that, there was, that they were invited. Jesus wasn't invited because he was Jesus. Jesus was at the wedding because of a family name. Isn't that interesting? But Jesus was there with his homeboys because his mother was invited. It says the, it's, it's a real, real story. It says the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Well, dear woman, that's not our problem. Only Jesus can get away with saying something like that to his mother. <laughs> this, this is actually a term of endearment, believe it or not. And we, it doesn't uh, necessarily cross over to our culture, but this is actually a term of endearment in Scripture. It's actually a, a very respectful term. Uh, but dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come 
But everybody's mother, you tell her what you want and what happens, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. How many of y'all have a mother like that? You tell her, mom, that's not what I'm thinking, but it's just, just do it. That's fine, honey. Uh, yeah, he said he would do it. <laughs> Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. The, the, the words on here that you need to see is this, Jewish ceremonial washing, which means they were equivalent of a dirty toilet. They would use it for hand washing. Who wants to drink out of something everybody's been washing their hands in? All right? And then who did he tell to fill the jars? Servants. Some of you, the servants to go fill these jars that are equivalent, what we would look at is something like a toilet, something you would never touch and you would tell your kids not to touch and if they touch it, you wash their hands repeatedly and then sanitize them in 2019. It says, when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies, the, the wedding planner, not necessarily somebody married, but to the, uh, or married into the family or somebody even connected, but a wedding planner, if you will, uh, take it to the master of the ceremonies. For you to run out of wine at a wedding would be a significant problem. It would be a significant hospitality issue. It would make your family look like they were the most disrespectful group of people. How many of y'all ever been to a wedding and they ran out of food? How many of y'all, that was your wedding? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now dip some out, take it to the master of the ceremonies. It said, so the servants followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, so he called the bridegroom over. And it says, a host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. I think that, really quickly, I think that the reason this is so interesting to me is that in America, we always think, well, man, Jesus got them really drunk. They were already twisted. Jesus got them really drunk. That's not what it's saying. I want to I explain this. What, what, what would happen is there was a process to keep things uh, in a place where you could actually drink them. There was a process to keep things where they weren't going to go bad. And so they would add yeast to grape juice. And over time, when it sat, it would become fermented. It wasn't necessarily always an intentional process. Uh, so w what they would say is when you had fresh wine, it was stuff that was fresh. It wasn't sitting a long time. And so the nostalgia of getting something fresh off the vine, squeezing it and drinking it, it was hard to do because it had to be work that was done the day of or within moments. Does this make sense? And so there was actually, uh, there was, it was the fresh wine was the stuff that would have been the high end. The stuff that was fermented was what everybody had in their house because it sat in this bag with yeast and it would ferment because that was the only way to preserve it. And so what he was saying is, why did you bring out the stuff that was fresh? Did y'all just come out of the fields, you just now brought out the fresh stuff, the stuff that is nourishing in a way that the stuff that sits isn't. But it said the miraculous sign at Canaan Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. Now let me ask you this, how many of you love a process? How many of you love going to the DMV? How many of you love that? I cannot wait to go to the DMV and renew this tag on my car because I forgot my sign-in online and I have to do it in person. I love it. And you get there and they're like, you are number 746. Okay, that's fine. What number are you on? Negative 12. Are you kidding? Yeah, join those people. And you look outside and there's a, a, a line of people with tents that have been there for days, right? If you work at the DMV, we love you, but we know, we know the truth. We don't 
We need you, but you don't need us, all right? So we get how it works. But you love that, right? You love the process. How many of y'all love the process of losing weight? Come on, somebody. You know that you had one too many Cinnabons, or maybe after Christmas it rolls into April and you just haven't stopped. And you're at the gym and you're thinking, man, I, I, feel, I don't feel so good today. I need to go home and eat a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> Come on. Anybody got my ice cream lovers up in here? You're like, that's the kind of process I like. Processes aren't fun, man. They're brutal. Processes are brutal. They're hard. Processes, but you know what's great about a process? Is at the very end, if you stick with the, 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 the weight and the, the weight loss, at the very end of it, you get this product that you're actually proud of. And what happens, the reason that people like it is because when they finally gotten that weight loss, they look back and the process has changed who they are as a person in the way they think, maybe some disciplines, maybe the way they eat. And so the process, we all hate, we, but we love the end product, right? We love the promise that's coming at the end. Y'all know where I'm headed with this. How many of y'all like going to school and getting a degree, right? I hated it. I'm glad you raised your hand, but I'm not. I, I do not raise my hand because four years to wait for anything is about three and a half years too long. And you're going to tell me I have to sit in a class and pay you thousands of dollars to point me to misery for years so that I can get a degree? But you know what the great feeling is when you have your little cap and gown on, you're walking down that aisle to grab your diploma and all those thousands of dollars, it doesn't matter because you've been through a process and you've earned something, right? It's, it's this, this process. And this is what's interesting. So we just read about a story. It was Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine. But you know what's interesting about that? All the wedding guests got to enjoy this delicious wine. And they were saying, man, why'd you save the best till now? This is delicious. Mmm. It's good stuff, baby. Come on. This is good wine. But you know the irony of this story? Jesus did this privately. He didn't want a bunch of people to know who he was. He was still, he hadn't yet fully revealed himself as the son of God. And his mother didn't tell him to do this because he was walking on water in the bathtub as a baby. That's not why she told him to do this. Jesus was told by his mother to do this because she knew that he could help. And she wasn't sure why, but she just knew he could help. She knew Jesus could help them out. He was a good man. He was a good boy. He was a good carpenter. But you know the irony of this is that all of the guests enjoyed this delicious wine, but somebody had to work for it. Who carried these stone jars that were 20 to 30 gallons down the hill back to the river or to the well and carried them back up so they could turn into wine? Does anybody know how much a gallon of water weighs? I do. 8.34 pounds. So you're telling me that you've got about a 200 pounds of water, not including, and maybe more than that, not including the actual rock. So let's say the rock, they sat there, these giant vats to hold in the, the water that would be for ceremonial hand washing. Now they, Jesus told who to go get the water? The servants. So he tells them, he says, I need you to go get the water. Somebody had to do the work for the miracle to happen. Somebody had to do more than just pray and believe God for his faithfulness. Somebody had to do something that went a little further than just saying, well, God, I believe in you. But I think you have to ask yourself a question. Do you want God to change an event in your life? Or do you want God to change your life? Because that's the difference between somebody who's willing to go down and get some water and keep doing it until it's done to somebody who says, well, I've got one bucket and one bucket of wine is plenty for me and my family. But what about all the guests? What are all the people that are counting on you to obey God so that they can see him in a way they've never seen him before? 
You see, there's a process. There's something that goes on. John chapter 2, verse 6. I want to go back to this scripture. This is what it says. So standing nearby were six stone water jars for ceremony hand washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So he told the servants, fill them with water. Who did he tell to fill them with water? Very good class. We're getting somewhere. Fill them with water. But there's something you need to understand when it comes to this story. And this is the concept. The process is the blessing, but the promise is the resting. We always think the process is where it's so hard and so painful, and it is. But the process is really the blessing. You remember the story of the Israelites when they were going throughout Egypt, and they were slaves, but then they got taken out as slaves, and they were walking across all of this land in the desert. But they didn't believe God for what he said he was going to be, and so they disobeyed him. And so God said, I'm going to kill off this entire generation because they wouldn't believe me. But the next generation believed in God, and so they crossed through the Jordan River. They marched around Jericho, and on that last day, they started to shout. The walls came down. They started to take territory. Why? Because the process of 40 years in a desert, that was actually the blessing because it positioned them to walk into the promised land. The process that they hated, the hurt that they hated, the pain that they hated, the turmoil that they hated, the dysfunction that they hated, the, the, the problem with relationships that they hated, the struggle with their calling they hated— but they love the promise because the resting doesn't come during the process. It comes whenever the promise is actually there. The process is, the reason this isn't very popular is because there's not a person in here that likes a process. We want God to meet our needs, to fill our voids, and to help us overcome, but we don't want to carry the water, and we certainly don't want to have to use a toilet to do it. But the process is where everything takes place. Think about King David. You know, David was told as a small boy that he was going to be the next king of Israel. Y'all know that story? Told as a small boy, you're going to be the next king of Israel. So what did he do? Well, he spent the next uh, multiple years, well into his 30s, running from a king that was trying to kill him, that he saved his life through Goliath and through fighting for his army. And so then what happens is David's running around the countryside and he's running thinking, why am I? Read Psalms. Why am I running? God, are you with me? Do you see my pain? Do you see my hurt? Do you see that I need you? But what happened is when David became a king, he never lost a battle. You know why David never lost a battle? Was God with him? Yes. But he knew every crack and every crevice and every rocky mountain and every steep slope and every slippery, slippery plain. David knew the terrain and all the land around him. And so now the process was the blessing. And so when he became a king, he was resting. He didn't even have to go out to fight if he didn't want to fight. That's a long process. Nobody wants to run that long, right? And no, nobody wants to do that. It's not, it's not fun for any of us. But the process is the blessing. John chapter 2, verse 8. You have these, these giant stone vats, and they're full of water. He said, now dip some out and, and take it to the master of the ceremonies. And it says, so the who... Servants, what'd they do? They followed. The servants followed his instructions. The people who would never get notoriety. The people who would be sweating hard. And they would be miserable. Those are the people that were the ones experiencing God. Everybody else was just seeing the fulfillment of something God did. But they were the ones actually experiencing the power of God. You see, nobody ever found out where this came from. But he told the servants... He said, well, why, why would he do that? Because the promise 
in your life and the things that God shows you. The promise is what God shows you. But the process is where God makes you. The promise is what many of you are going for. The promise is what many of you have been striving for. The promise is what God has shown you, and you believe it over your family. You believe it over your life. You believe it over your calling. You believe it over your children. You believe it over your finances. You believe it over your health. You believe it over your marriage. But the promise is what God has showed you. But the process of you and your husband or you and your wife coming to God together and praying over one another and and speaking those things against the darkness that's trying to take their life, that process is where you're actually going to be made into something that you can't quite see. That process of being in a hospital bed for months when you can't understand why that stinking drip is not healing you, it's because that drip's not going to heal you. But there's a God who is creating something in a process that's going to change your life. It's going to radically transform the way that you think. So that drip isn't the miracle. The drip is the process. The cancer's not the miracle. The cancer's the process. And God is doing something in you that whenever he is done, you're going to be walking under an anointing that you never imagined because the promise, this promise is what you saw, but you're, man, I wish I never had to do what I had to do to get there. You know, I've wanted to quit a lot. We're going to be at five years, September 14th, 2019. I think that might be a Monday or a Saturday. It's not a Sunday, but that's our five-year date this year. It's hard to believe that we've been in Virginia Beach for five years, and I can tell you I have wanted to quit so many times. The depression and the anxiety that has tried to tear my life apart has sent me to my knees, has sent me to counseling, has sent me to think that I have wanted to be run out of that city. But what I realize is I am in a process. And what God is showing me is that, Brandon, if I gave you now what I showed you then, it would destroy who I'm creating you to be. But we want the brownies, even though we're diabetics. And we're like, that's okay, I'll take extra insulin shots. And God's thinking, you have lost your mind. Because what I know is you eat enough of these and it'll kill you. But you just want what's going to satisfy you. Or I've got something that's going to fulfill you. And what you need to understand is that there is something God is doing in your process. There are so many processes as you're looking at me and you're seeing where I'm at. And I'm seeing where there are so many processes sitting online at every campus in this building right now. There's so many processes Every one of us is in one. But what if you looked at your process as something that God's taking you through and not something that's taking you out? And Jesus is saying, listen, I need somebody to go and to fill these jars with water. Six jars, 20 to 30 gallons. You're looking over 120 gallons, 180 gallons of water. I need somebody that's going to be willing to take bucket by bucket and fill these jars. And until that's done, the miracle can't be fulfilled. And in your life, maybe it's not that God's not moving. Maybe you're not moving. Maybe he's saying, I need you to be the one to go down. If you want to do something in ministry, then go get a ministry degree. Go study. If you want to do something in real estate, go get your real estate license. I mean, there's so many processes that we try to avoid because we think God is going to supernaturally thrust us to the forefront. And I can tell you, it would have destroyed my life, and it will destroy yours. But Jesus is saying, I will only provide this wine to this wedding party and save this man's name amongst his friends if I can get these servants to be faithful in a process so that they can receive the blessing. I need somebody that's willing to go down and get this water. 
And he tells the servants, go down and fill up these vats. Go up and fill these stones. I need you to fill it up with water, and then I'm going to bless these people. I'm going to do something supernatural in their life. And in John chapter 2, verse 9, I'm going to go back to it. This is what it says. It says, the master of the ceremony, he tastes and he comes to Jesus. And he's saying, hey, 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 where did it come from? John chapter 2, verse 9, we got it? It says, when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water, I'm going to read it to you. It says, it was now wine, not knowing where to come from. He said, hey, hey, where's, where's, this, where's this stuff coming from? Where's all this, this good stuff? You see, the miracle wasn't God for the people at the party. The people who received the wine, the miracle wasn't theirs at the party. It wasn't about God at the party. They were just enjoying the promise that somebody was willing to pay a price for. They didn't see God in the wine. They didn't see God in that wedding party. The only people that saw God and the miracle of God were the people who worked through the process. The only people that saw the hand of God were the ones who went down and were willing to get the water from the well or from the whatever they got and they put it into these vats. The only people that were a part of a process were the ones who were in the process and the only ones who saw Jesus were the ones who saw his hand and the only ones he showed his hands to were the ones who wanted to see him and not just get a miracle. That's who he wants to see is, can I please get somebody who is ready to walk through a process? You want a shortcut faith? You will have a shortcut influence. You want a shortcut faith? Then you are living at your max capacity. I have seen so many apathetic men and women of God that just lackadaisically enter the presence of God. They don't realize they are standing in the presence of a mighty king who sent his son to die on a cross, and they have all the power that his son had right within them, and they treat it as if it is some kind of old outfit or outdated menu at a restaurant they don't want to go to and eat anymore. You are in the presence of a mighty God, and he has a process for you, and if you don't want the process, you don't want the Savior, and if you don't want the Savior, then you can't walk in the anointing. For the love of God, can somebody kickstart yourself? Give yourself a kick sometime. People say, you got a lot of energy. No, I, my life has been saved by a God that has put me through some processes that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, but it's in those processes I saw an intimacy of a king and a love of a father that I yearned for my entire life. And the reason that I preach the way I preach, I don't apologize, but the reason that I walk the way I walk and I talk the way I talk is because I have a mission, and it's to let you know that there is a God who is deeply in love with you. He is passionately overcome by you, and he has created you, and he has never been disgusted or dismayed. He has not had a moment where he has been disappointed with who you are, and he is saying, if you would humble yourself and come to him and let him have that process. He will do something in your life that history books are written about, but he needs people who are willing to pay a price for a process because it's in that process that he's going to make you because God's in the process. That's where he's at. He's in the process. I think I got to speak like 78 times this weekend. I promised myself I'd try to keep it. I can't. This is it. That's all I got. I'm at level 10 all the time. I told my wife, I got to try to keep it somewhat chill. I got 78 messages in the next couple of days. No. That's all I got. Because I believe it. I believe this. You know, May 31st, our city was a part of a massacre where 12 people were murdered. My mother-in-law works in an adjacent building at the, down at the courthouse. And I got in a text. And they said, did you hear what happened? And I said, no. And I looked it up and it said that two people had been shot. And I was like, oh, man, that's horrible. You know, that's awful. I hope they get them. And I refreshed my phone. And it said 11 confirmed dead. And I almost physically threw up. 
while I saw that because I knew it immediately we have to do something but God I don't know what And that evening, I called some of our core guys, and I said, we got to do something. I said, what the Lord had spoke is that tomorrow morning, people are going to wake up. They need somewhere to go. And like any church planter, we never think about buildings. I said, well, we have a parking lot that is connected to the movie theater we rent for our second location. Let's just do it there. I didn't think it was going to be raining. As a church planter, you don't care. You don't need roof. You just need a sound system. If you don't have one of those, you just start preaching. You hope people show up. So we held this vigil 18 hours after the shooting. And really the reason we did it is because I said people need to know that Jesus loves them and he's oh, we're not going to let darkness come into our city and start making a name for itself. We're going to make a name for Jesus right now. We're going to do what we have to do to preach this gospel. My right-hand guy, he had sent it off. And he said, you need to look, you need to turn on the news. I turned on the news on Friday night and it said, breaking news, Lifehouse Virginia Beach to hold a vigil. And I said, you need to bring out the big speakers for this one. I said, no, no small speak. We're going to need the big ones. And honestly, the next day, I didn't know how many people were going to come out. I was hoping that there would be just the people who needed it. We didn't really, it wasn't a, a goal. There was no, uh, we didn't mark attendance. We didn't chase people down. We just said, we just, I just want to provide a place for people to know that there's, it's safe and to mourn and to be together. Hundreds of people showed up. A lot of the people that were in the office buildings whenever the shootings went down, a lot of the people that hadn't slept, they were on the news all night doing interviews. They were there at that vigil, and they are waiting. A lot of the police officers, halfway through the vigil, the mayor or the governor showed up. A senator showed up. They were asking me, do you want them to say anything? I said, of course I want them to say something. People need to hear what they have to say. At the end of that vigil, I had a moment where I just wanted to ask people if they knew Jesus. I remember standing there, and there was... A hundred cameras from all over the world staring at us. And these vigils were going live all over the place. We were getting phone calls and emails and text messages from all over the world. People saying they're watching these things happen live. They're watching us on TV. I'm thinking, Lord, you've put us right in the middle to provide hope. Help us not to screw this up. And I meant it with the depth of who I am. You know what he said to me? Four and a half years. And people were asking us, how did you throw this together so fast? How did your church get so mobilized? How were you guys able to do this? You know what the Lord spoke to me? Because those people were faithful in the process for four and a half years. They set up and tear down not one but two locations. They have been reaching people in this city for four and a half years. It's just now the world can see it. The Regal Cinema that we, we rent on a Sunday morning, do you know the heart of that general manager when we first rented there? You know what he told me his heart was? He said, I want to be town hall. I just want to be a place where people know that we're here if they need us. Little did he know when his vision was town hall, God put him on the front of every news station throughout the entire world. That next morning... It was a Sunday morning, and we had invited any media that wanted to be parks. I told our church, listen, we have an opportunity to provide hope of the world, and we're going to do that. We're going to provide hope, and we're going to preach hope. If they want to interview, you give them one, and you talk about Jesus. You don't talk about anything. You talk about the hope that is Jesus. And that morning, I had been asked by CNN to do an interview all the way across town, and it was right in front of the courthouse where the shooting happened, and I hadn't been there yet. And I drove across the city, and I remember seeing the police tape, and the cop cars were still there, and the lights were still on. It was a Sunday morning, and I was like, Lord, I was just hoping this was a nightmare. I was hoping this was a bad dream. So the first time I'd seen it and I got done the interview and I was driving to church because we had two services that morning at each location and we were broadcasting and we wanted people to be a part. We wanted first responders to come. We wanted just to love on people. 
What I wanted to do is have a big potluck for the entire city. I just could not find a place that would serve 500,000 pieces of chicken. I remember driving away from that interview and the Lord spoke to me, said, this isn't the end. This is the beginning because you've been faithful in a process. I just want you to make sure that people know that I am their answer. I can sit here and tell you a million stories of how I'm not qualified. I was terrified. I had moments days after where I would be sitting at a meal and I would have to leave and just start weeping because of the heaviness of what our city has walked through. I didn't ever wanted our city to be a part of a hashtag. And you don't understand it until you've been in one. It is the worst feeling you've ever imagined. I've had people in my life close to me die and it's never felt like this. It has never felt like this. Not to take it away, but I know the Lord has asked our church, along with many pastors in Virginia Beach, to carry a weight. And I know what those moments are like. And what I'm trying to tell you is, had I not been faithful, and I, I, will never, I will never speak to people about how faithful I've been, but I'm trying to get you to understand, at our church, if we'd not been faithful in those times, I wanted to quit, that Satan was trying to tell me to quit. We would have been ready for what he had. And my wife will be the first to tell you. People thought, man, he's leading so well, he's so strong. She'll be the first to tell you I was a mess. At one point, my eight-year-old son walked into the room, and I'm just weeping in my hands, and he looks at me. He says, Daddy, you're scaring me. And Mommy said, he's just happy. I said, no, I'm not. I told my wife, I said, I just didn't want to screw this up. Because people need Jesus, and he's given us the opportunity to, know who he, to tell them who he is. It's a process. It's a process God's taking you through in your life. I hope that God never asked me to do anything like that again. I'm not, you say, well, you're better for it. I, I don't agree with that. But what I want you to understand is that the promise that God shows you may not always be the process to get you there. Nobody wants influence like that. And Jesus said, I just need somebody who's willing to fill these things with water. I need somebody who's willing to be faithful. You say, well, how do I do that? First Corinthians, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. This is what he says. He said, be on your guard, stand firm, which means unyielding. Stand firm. Be courageous. It means be manly. And that's not something to say that you women can't be that. What it's saying is protect your home, protect your kids, protect your family, protect them with what you know to be true. Be strong. That means be forceful. Don't, don't, don't step back from darkness. Step into it. And he says, and do everything with love. Have an overwhelming love, an overwhelming passion for the things that God's calling to you. Will you stand with me? I want you to stand right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. But I want to ask you something. Because if you miss out on the sweet spots of life, then you're going to miss out on the processing. The sweet spots of life are the processing. The sweet spots of life are the places that God's called you to be. And you say, well, Brandon, I feel like God's going to do something in my life. Well, I want to ask you a question. If, and I've heard this said before. It challenged me. And I want to ask you the question. If God answered every prayer that you're praying, would it change your life or would it change the world? What would your prayers affect if God did it? If you're comfortable, I just want you to lift your hands right now as a sign of surrender. To say, God, I surrender to the process. I surrender to the promise. And I surrender to what you have. Lord, we come to you right now. And we just thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your omnipresence. We thank you that you are the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we surrender to you. We surrender to the process. We surrender to the things that you're doing in our life. And we just ask you to have your way in us and through us. God, there is no one like you. And we surrender today. And everybody said, Amen.
thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.